This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Sybin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin first, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. And we have quite a few this week. We have Ed Piotrowski, Goldie Chan, who was the person that helped me out at CES. She's going to be launching some of her own stuff soon, so we'll uh, check out what she's got going on in the near future. Raymond Dave Rede, Adam Esmail, William Hunt, and we got a second page this week. Mark Gallen, Gary Johnson, who gave via the tip jar. We also have two new gold supporters that you'll see starting next month. Brian Parker and Brian Lee, as well as John Prawl. I want to thank everyone who contributed to the Patreon this week, quite a few of you. And I want to thank everyone who subscribes and watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And we have a new advertiser this week. We're going to be taking a look at the iRoller. This is a liquid-free touchscreen display cleaner. It works with uh, every tablet and computer screen out there. I've been playing with it over the last two weeks or so to make sure this is something I'd be comfortable recommending, and I've been surprised by how well it works. So this is the eye roller here. It's about three and a half inches, so it easily fits in a bag. It's got a nice mechanism here to uh, protect the sticky part when it's not in use. Now, this one I've been using for the last two weeks or so, and I haven't yet cleaned it. So let's see how it does uh, with this filthy iPad. I had my... Uh, kids played with it this morning to make sure we got it nice and greasy here. Uh, so you rub it back and forth here, and eventually all the dirt goes away, and you can get a good, uh, nice, clean screen again. If you got a really dirty screen, it does take a few passes here, but you can see very quickly the uh, grease and all the other junk tends to go away. You might have some caked-on dirt and stuff that might remain afterward, but it does a really nice job of getting the display uh, back to a very clean state, and then you can go back and look for all of the other gunk that might be caked on the screen. And generally, most screens that have not been touched by toddlers can get cleaned in a pass or two. So it really uh, does, I think, a very nice job of getting these screens cleaned uh, without a lot of effort. And I found a lot of times when I'm using Windex or something, it takes a while to get the streaks out. Uh, I think this really helps because it doesn't leave any streaks behind, no liquid involved, and you're good to go again. And I've been using this one a lot. I haven't yet cleaned it, and it's still maintaining its stickiness. They do recommend not touching the uh, roller here when you're using it to prolong its usefulness. Now, when it does get uh, a little less sticky, you can run it under uh, some soapy water, some soapy warm water, get it all nice and clean, and then let it air dry. And when it's done, it'll be sticky again, and you can keep using it once more. And this might be really useful, especially if you're going out to uh, events where you're using your iPad to present. You don't want to show a potential client a really filthy iPad. Uh, so this really does get the screen uh, quite clean here, and you can see the difference that we've got on this screen. I was actually quite impressed with this because I was thinking, how could this possibly work better than a good chamois cloth and some liquid? But it does do a nice job. So you got the eye roller here. They also have one for eyeglass cleaners called Eyeglass Clean. So if you're looking for a convenient way to keep your devices clean, definitely check out the eye roller. And I want to thank them for their support of the channel. So let's take a look now at what we did in the last week. I posted a bunch of stuff to the extras channel that you might have missed. We did a, a follow-up 
on Rocket League performance for that Acer Aspire 5. And uh, what happened was is that I completely missed the file that I had recorded for Rocket League uh, during the time I was shooting the review. It was on my TriCaster, but I was uh, interrupted by a conference call that I had to be on, and I forgot to move the file over to my external drive that I use for editing. So I figured I would put it up on its own so people can check that out. We also, uh, I also posed the question, what should I do with the $10 Raspberry Pi Zero W, which is a $5 computer, and I've got some great tips and ideas of things that I should pursue. So I think what I'm going to do uh, is probably do a single video with three or four different things that you can do with a $5 computer. One of the problems with the $5 computer, though, is that it costs more to ship it than it does to buy it, but uh, we'll, we'll address that in the video, too, I suppose. I unboxed the CalDigit TS3 Thunderbolt dock, and it has power delivery, so it will power most laptops as well as provide a bunch of port replication, too. We're going to be uh, looking at that hopefully this week. I do want to test out how eGPUs work with it, and I'm trying to get uh, the right combination of hardware uh, hooked up to it to make sure that I've got a good demo ready to go for you. I also showed how you can use HDMI CEC through Libre ELEC on that Raspberry Pi we looked at last week. Uh, what I did there was we had taken out a $35 Raspberry Pi to use it as a live TV network DVR cable box. And uh, I was using a phone to control it, but you can actually use your TV remote if your TV supports HDMI CEC. And I showed you how that worked there. And I'll tell you what, I've been really impressed by how well that Raspberry Pi 3 handles everything I throw at it. Uh, you saw the, how great it worked as a network DVR cable box, essentially, but it also works really well just as a general purpose computer. They've really improved and optimized the Raspbian operating system, which is a uh, Linux variant that runs on the Raspberry Pi. It's kind of like their main distribution. It works exceptionally well. I've been really quite pleased just playing around with it. And I, if, if you haven't picked one up, definitely pick it up because I think you'll have a lot of fun playing with it. On the main channel, we reviewed that Acer Aspire 5 that has the MX150 GPU. That's NVIDIA's new uh, low-end mobile part, but it's the same chip as the GTX 1030 that you might get on a desktop top computer. I think it kind of sits in between the 950 and the 960M uh, GPUs, so it's not as fast as the 960M uh, is on my benchmarks, but it's kind of close, so it's definitely a step up from the 940MX, and one of the things that I really want to get my hands on now is the uh, new Xiaomi uh, Air 13. So we looked at that one last year with the 940MX, a very compact Windows laptop with a GPU built in. Well, now they've got one uh, running with that MX150, and that is going to be a really hot machine. I hope to get my hands on one in the near future. We also took a look at something that surprised me in how much you all were interested in it, uh, the Kensington Veramark, which is a USB fingerprint reader for Windows PCs. It doesn't work with Linux, unfortunately, but uh, works really well. You just pop it into the USB port, uh, put your finger on there, and you can unlock your computer, but you can also take it to other Windows computers as well. And it's very nice to see something like this because we look at a lot of low-end PCs here on the channel that don't have a fingerprint reader at all. But unfortunately, it does cost a little more than some of the competing versions out there, but this is a name brand that I think has some trust behind it. We also took a look at Plex DVR running on Android, and I showed you how it works on an Android phone as well as an Android tablet. Uh, some people did write in to say that it's still a little on the buggy side with Android, so I'd love to hear your experiences uh, down below in the comment stream. Definitely let me know about that, and I'll see if I can pass any word over to the Plex team. And I think we'll be doing a lot of cord cutting on the channel for the rest of the year. Silicon Dust, the makers of the HD Home Run, uh, have a new beta for iOS, so you can run their native software on your phone or on your 
uh, iPad tablets, and we took a look at how that works in that video, and I also have a link there uh, for you to sign up for the beta, too, if you want to start playing with it yourself. So now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. This is week 23 of me doing this as a full-time occupation and small business owner, and I'm finally at the point where I think I've got my time management figured out. I'm not actually doing the best time management at the moment because, unfortunately, I am steering and rowing at the same time, so I really need to bring on a few other folks to help me out. And I finally think I know what I need for help initially. And that was, been, that was really my biggest holdup here in uh, hiring somebody. Because I, if I'm going to create a job, I want to make sure that the skill set of the person that I'm hiring lines up with what the needs are versus having somebody come in and do things that may or may not be helpful to the channel. And the last thing I want to do is uh, bring on somebody, start paying them, and discover that their skill set does not align with what my needs are. So before I create a job, I really wanted to know what that job needs to be. And I think I'm finally there, which is uh, really helping me get a lot of the monotonous tasks involved with uh, doing my product reviews out of the way so I can spend more time focusing on the things that require more of my attention. And uh, specifically, it's business development, getting more advertising, for example, but also just uh, doing some things that I need to do to grow this channel and get me out in front of uh, more of these brands and whatnot, uh, but also just getting some things out of the way when I'm trying to uh, do a deep dive into something. So a great example might be that Raspberry Pi Zero. I really want to look at what we can do with it, and that's going to take a lot of time to get all these different things tested so I have an idea as to what I want to talk about on the video, but that could take me an entire day, uh, which means that I'm not shooting a video for you to see, and I really like to get uh, four or five videos up a week, and that's one of the things that I'm sure you're hearing from a lot of your other creators that you follow, that there is an intense amount of pressure to keep uploading because uh, we are essentially working for an artificial intelligence algorithm at Google, and if it sees that you stop uploading, uh, it suddenly may decide that you're not as uh, worth uh, its time in sending people to watch your content. So I don't ever want to go dark for a week, and I think having somebody come on to help me uh, get some video shots so then I can go back to uh, focusing on some of the deeper dive content will really uh, help the channel in the long run, especially because what I'd like to do is have a bunch of videos on deck, to use a baseball analogy, so that I uh, can maybe have a couple of days worth of content shot and ready to go and scheduled to appear before your eyes, as opposed to what I'm doing right now, uh, which is shooting the videos, editing them, and then uploading them the same day. Typically, when you see a video uploaded, it's not something that I did ahead of time. It was something that I did right before it got uploaded and went up to eat dinner, and sometimes even past dinner, I'm uh, continually editing and doing some other stuff. And I don't mind that. I really do love what I'm doing, but I really want to get some runway here so that I can spend some more time on things and not feel pressured to uh, go back and work on something that might be a little faster. So uh, hopefully within the next month or two, I'll have somebody to introduce to you all for uh, being a who will help us out here on the channel. And maybe that will give us the ability to do more live streams and a bunch of other stuff. Because if I'm less pressured to uh, get content in the can, I can start doing more things that uh, engage you all more, which is part of my goal here. So I'll keep you posted, but I just wanted to give you a sense as to what I'm thinking about uh, as I'm building this out as a full-time occupation, because it is a business in addition to being uh, a YouTube channel. And there's a lot of things I got to keep in my head, and I'm hoping to start distributing and delegating uh, some of those tasks out shortly. And now it's time for some news. And one of the things that I noticed this week and posted on my Facebook page was this story at uh, NPR about Disney ending its Netflix deal. Uh, they have a pretty broad arrangement right now where I think most new Disney content, at least their movies, uh, shows up on Netflix, including uh, the newest Star Wars movie, Rogue One, I believe is now streaming on Netflix as part of this deal. But it looks like that deal is going to expire and Disney is going to go out on their own and do their own streaming services. Uh, that is why Netflix is invested so heavily in their own content because they really want to 
uh, have something to keep people on their service, especially if other uh, providers of content decide they want to do it themselves. And one of the strengths that Netflix has is uh, several years worth of data as to what people's viewing habits are. And generally, what Netflix has discovered is that anything that they produce based on their algorithms and data that they've collected about viewer habits usually is pretty successful. And that's why their shows are so good is because they really know what their audience wants. I'm not sure if all these other providers will be able to do the same thing. Uh, Disney's probably the exception. Uh, maybe I would subscribe to like a Star Wars channel that Disney puts together because I love anything Star Wars. I'd probably watch that. But as some of you point out, there is a reluctance to take on more subscription fees. And here's a collection of some of the comments that came in on my uh, Facebook page from that post. And uh, one of the things that I've been kind of juggling with here in my head is the fact that I think a lot of consumers, myself included, really want to have an a la carte model for the networks that we can watch on our TVs. And right now with cable TV as well as some IP TV providers like Sling and YouTube TV and others, you're forced to buy a package of things that you may or may not want to watch. And if you were to break out those networks individually, it might cost less. And this might be an avenue to get people there where you could subscribe to Disney by itself and kind of move on from there. But my concern here is, is shared by uh, Andrew Love, and that involves the new Star Trek show. I also like Star Trek in addition to liking and loving Star Wars, uh, and I really am intrigued by the Star Trek Discovery show. I thought the trailers were really intriguing, and I would like to watch the show. But I don't really think I need to subscribe to everything that CBS All Access offers for 10 bucks a month just to get access to that one show uh, that I want to watch. So what I'm hoping is going to happen here is that in addition to having these subscription services set up, that they'll also offer those shows for purchase maybe through Amazon Video and iTunes and Google Play so that you can uh, pick and choose not only the networks you want to subscribe to, but also uh, grab just the shows that you wish to watch and uh, pay a fair price for them. So a great example of that uh, would be the uh, Star Wars Rebels show. It's kind of my little escapism to watch some Star, Star Wars cartoons that I wish I had when I was a kid. And I paid for the season pass on Amazon. I don't really want to subscribe to Disney XD on my cable system because I got to buy a whole bunch of other channels that I won't watch as part of that package. So uh, that was a better deal for me. It's not cheap, but I'm willing to pay for good content that entertains me. And I'm willing to do that on a show-by-show -show basis if I choose and own that content for as long as hopefully Amazon Video stays in existence uh, versus having to keep paying a $10 monthly fee if I ever want to go back to it. So we'll see what happens here with Disney. I do hope that they maybe segment their subscription offering out in such a way that different properties have uh, different subscriptions, because I think I probably would subscribe to a Star Wars channel, but I would not subscribe, for example, to a Disney XD channel that had that only one show I was eager to watch. So let's stay tuned and see uh, what happens with all of this, but I'd love to hear your comments down below. And now it's time for some Q&A from you, the viewers. And I've been getting some uh, comments in from this viewer named CopCon over the last couple of weeks, where uh, he's been saying that I haven't, I've been misleading people in uh, my reviews, and I wasn't really sure what he was referring to because he was not being specific, but uh, he finally posted up something longer, and I now understand uh, where he was coming from, and I can explain uh, this better. And I wanted to get this comment up because I did get a like uh, next to it, so somebody else agreed with him, and I really want to make sure that people are not misinterpreting one of the disclaimers that I make at the beginning of my video here. So uh, what CopCon is saying, referring to is that when I say nobody has reviewed this content before it is posted, he thought I was talking about the fact that nobody else on YouTube had reviewed the product that I was re reviewing before I posted my review. And that is certainly not the case. Most of the things that I review 
are reviewed by a gazillion other YouTubers as well. What I'm saying in that disclaimer is that no brand has reviewed the content, the video that I'm making, before I uploaded it. And this is a very important thing, especially for legal compliance with Federal Trade Commission regulations here in the United States. And the law is very clear, is that if somebody sends something to the show for me to review and doesn't want it back, uh, that needs to be disclosed, number one. But I also need to disclose whether or not any other entity besides me had any control over the editorial content. So for example, if somebody were to send me a product and then say, we want to look at your video before you upload it, uh, then I would need to disclose that they had input into the editorial content. This is done so that viewers can make the right decision about uh, the, the information that they're hearing from the creator of the content. And it's okay if you take money for a product and do a review. I don't do it, but you can do it as long as you disclose everything properly so uh, viewers are aware of what the relationships are as well as uh, how the editorial decisions were made for that video. And it's a really important thing. It's a very important law here in the United States. There are similar laws in other countries around the world as well. And it really upsets me and angers me that more YouTube creators are not making the proper disclosures on their videos because it makes the rest of us who are doing things properly and are being transparent look bad, and that is why I do that. And this goes back to a video that you can find in my uh, archives uh, called uh, the FameBit Ring debacle. You can go to lon.tv slash ring where I detail exactly why I decided to take this stance. So basically what happened is uh, FameBit, which was acquired by Google not all that long ago, is a company that basically matches up uh, smaller brands with uh, YouTube creators so that they can be paid to make videos about products. And I'm, I'm okay with people being paid to make videos. It's not anything that I'm upset with. But in this instance, what happened was FameBit reached out to me and offered me $250 and a Ring doorbell to do a review. And I wrote back to them saying, I don't want the money. I'm happy to take the product in and review it, but I can't guarantee a positive review. And the person from FameBit wrote back and said, oh, no, no, it needs to be a positive review. And then when I went out and looked at all the content about the Ring doorbell that had been posted around the time that the offer was made to me, I noticed that only one creator out of dozens uh, actually disclosed properly in his video that he had taken money for the review. And I thought that was horrible. And this really, you know, obviously is uh, an indicator of some really bad practices and illegal practices going on on YouTube. And I reached out to a number of creators that were posting Ring doorbell uh, reviews on background, in other words, uh, off the record, uh, to get their feel as to what was going on with this. And one of them, only one, responded to me and said, yes, he took the money and he didn't disclose things properly and he never does because he didn't want to you know, bite the hand that feeds him or whatever statement he made to me on that front. And it really just kind of makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes being in this space, knowing that other people might interpret me as being part of that problem uh, if everyone they perceive is making videos about products on YouTube is on the take. So I decided at that point I need to be transparent. I need to just disclose to you everything that I'm doing, what my relationships are, and you can make up your own mind as to whether or not you can trust what I'm saying. And I think that's been working quite well. It's why I do these long disclaimers, but I think it's important these days because if somebody's getting product for free, even if it's not a sponsorship, they need to make those disclosures. And if they're not doing it, they're not following the law and they can find themselves in trouble along with the brand that's applying it to them. And a few weeks after I posted that video, I interviewed an attorney who specializes in this area 
area of the law. It was a very intriguing discussion for me because it gives you an idea as to some of the liabilities that you might have if you are not properly disclosing, as well as the things you should be looking for uh, when consuming content on the web. And if you follow the things that he talks about in this video, I think you're going to be uh, more than compliant with the law. In fact, I disclose more than I need to, but I feel like if I'm going to uh, be mixing things that come in for free to the channel, mixing in things that are on loan to the channel, and mixing in things that I buy myself, I may as well just tell you exactly how the item got to me, and that was something I gained from that discussion with the attorney. So uh, lots of good content on this on the channel. Definitely worth checking out if you have an interest in disclosures and why I make them. But don't worry, I'm not making the uh, claim that I am the first to review everything on the internet. That is not possible, and that is not why I am saying that. And Ryan Martinez wrote in in response to the wrap-up last week where I was talking about some of the channels that influenced me, and he noted that there's a lot of RetroWare TV alumni on my list of channels, and that is absolutely correct because at the time that I was getting started with this video stuff, I was probably around 2008, 2009, I started noticing there was a lot of quality content on topics that I was very interested in on YouTube, namely uh, retro video games. And I just could not get enough of it, especially as I found all this back catalog of stuff that I hadn't been following over the preceding years. And a lot of that content uh, was produced under the RetroWare TV umbrella. They were one of the earlier, uh, I don't know if they were a multi-channel network per se, but they were operating as one where they uh, found a bunch of creators working on retro video game content and built an umbrella around them and allowed them to more easily work with each other as well as organize together for events and other things. And it really uh, created quite a nice community that exists to this day. In fact, RetroWareTV.com still has a bunch of channels on their website. And uh, this really helped me early on because I was able to uh, see what worked from the viewer's perspective. I was very interested in this topic and I was consuming a ton of content and I was actually in the back of my mind taking notes about how I was finding some of this content and the creators that were making it uh, during the early days of this channel and that really did guide me in that direction. And by the way, there's a Connecticut connection here because one of the two people that founded uh, RetroWare TV grew up probably only about five minutes away from where I live right now. He doesn't live here anymore, but uh, there's a very local connection to me here. I didn't know him back in the day because typically without any social media. You didn't know too many kids outside of the school you went to, but uh, he was literally five minutes away uh, growing up from where I was, and it's kind of funny that this all originated right in this one little area. Uh, the other half of RetroWare TV also lives in Connecticut, but he's maybe about 40 minutes away from where I live. Uh, but what they are doing next is they have a, a convention happening in Hartford, Connecticut. This is Retro World Expo. It's a different uh, company, but uh, one half of Retro World Expo is also a half of uh, RetroWare TV. I think the guy uh, Lance is, is behind Retro World Expo. And it's going to be happening in Hartford, Connecticut, October 14th and 15th. Uh, this is not an ad, but I do plan maybe to spend a little time there this October, maybe go for a day or one of the two days. Uh, so if you are going, let me know in the comments below. Maybe we'll do a little meetup or something. It'd be kind of fun to meet some uh, viewers of the wrap-up there. It's going to be a nice show. Actually, it's in a much bigger venue than it's been in the, the prior two years that they did this. This is going to be a, a pretty big show, especially by Connecticut standards. And I know a lot of my favorite creators will be uh, coming in to do panels. So I'm looking forward to seeing some of their panels, too. Let me know down in the comments below if you do plan to attend. And Toto Franci wrote in with a great question about video editing software. And if you've been following me for a while, you know that I uh, do most of my video production on Macs and uh, edit with Final Cut Pro. Now, Final Cut Pro costs about $300 or so, and of course, you've got to buy the Mac to run it on, but uh, I found, for me at least, it's probably the most efficient way for me to get my work done, and I've had a very hard time 
uh, even trying to use anything else. And I'm one of these creatures of habit. When I find something that works for me, I just don't change unless I'm forced to. Uh, and that's been the case with Final Cut Pro. I'm really quite pleased with it, and I'm very quick with it also because I've spent uh, so many years working with it. I know all the keyboard shortcuts to get everything going very quickly. But uh, people who are first starting out as creators certainly don't need uh, all that software just yet. So my suggestion would be, at least if you're on the Mac, uh, to use iMovie. That is a uh, fantastic app and it's free. And the best part is, is that if you move up to Final Cut Pro, the workflow is very similar. That was some controversy when Final Cut Pro 10 came out because it was so much like iMovie. But uh, at the same time, I think iMovie is a very efficient editing software package and Final Cut Pro is the pro version of it. And it's nice to uh, see that there's a path you can take to more advanced software without having to relearn everything from scratch. But what I don't know and something I want all of you to help me with is on the Windows side. And one of the things Toto here suggested was that we look at uh, free software that doesn't leave a watermark. And maybe uh, you all can leave some suggestions down below in the comment stream for our Q&A of the week about the things that uh, you have found out there to be really good and either cheap or uh, free uh, video editing applications for Windows. Because I haven't done much on Windows editing, but I'm always open to some new ideas. And I'd love to hear about the things that you're using to edit videos on the Windows side of things. So let me know down in the comments below. And now it's time for our channel of the week. And we're going to be looking at a RetroWare TV production, which is the video game years. And it's a documentary series that they started uh, way back in 2012. And it covers developments of the video game industry throughout the 1980s. They covered the 8-bit and the 16-bit developments. It's really good stuff. And it involves all of your favorite RetroWare TV personalities. I'm sure you'll see a lot of familiar YouTubers uh, in the course of this series. Now, this has been on YouTube for a long time, but uh, the way it was on YouTube was that they took each year and then broke those years out by uh, smaller mini episodes, which is uh, great for YouTube, but sometimes hard to navigate, especially if you're on a TV box. Uh, they now have it up on Amazon Prime Video, so you can watch each year as its own episode. They usually run about 45 to 45 minutes to an hour or so, uh, but a much better way to consume content, especially on a TV. And this is a very underappreciated effort that I think needs a lot more viewership because they spent a lot of time on this. They spent a lot of money on it. Uh, the logistics of it are really mind-boggling considering that everyone in the video is not in the same place. They had to get footage from everybody, consolidate it, edit it all together. And uh, they started this back in 2012 when it wasn't as easy to move big video files around. So this is a uh, great series and definitely worth your time if you are into retro games like I am. So this week, we're going to be taking a look at a couple of things. We are going to be looking, hopefully, at the Parsec game streaming app. This is a free app that allows you to uh, stream games within your home, but also outside your home. In fact, you can stream your entire Windows or other computer's desktop, and there's very little latency. And one of the things I've been playing with, because I'm really diving into this thing, uh, is really what that latency is versus just sitting next to your computer. And one of the things that I noticed was that uh, my game computer, my game machine over there, uh, seemed to have a lot of latency when using Parsec, more than I was seeing even sometimes when I connected over the internet to an Amazon AWS server. I'll talk about how all this stuff works in the main review. And I think I've got a problem with my network card inside of my gaming machine. I bought a new network card. I'm going to stick that one in tomorrow, and hopefully I'll see some better latency here. I think it's, uh, it's all on me, uh, not on them. But this is a really uh, neat application that is completely free. You can download it right now and start playing with it. And I think it's going to have a lot of uses beyond gaming also. They've really done a lot to 
uh, make a pretty seamless and uh, low latency application here. And it really is uh, quite a lot of fun to play with. And I'll be sharing that fun with you. I hope to also get to that video that I hope to do about the uh, Raspberry Pi Zero and what you can do with a $5 computer. Uh, now, I do have the uh, W variant, which costs $10, which has wireless built into it. But the video will be applicable to both. I got a lot of great ideas from all of you from that uh, video I did on the Extras channel. I also hope to take a look at an all-in-one from Lenovo, a very thin one. Uh, it almost looks like just a monitor, but it's got, a, I think, an i5 or an i7 computer baked in. Uh, and you could plug in another thing into its HDMI port and use the display as a monitor. So if you've got a PlayStation, uh, you can hook that up to the monitor here, use that for gaming, and then switch back over to the computer for everything else. This is a very good choice, perhaps, for a college dorm room. At least I hope it is. So we'll be doing a full review of that and seeing how it works out. And GearBest.com sent over another box of goodies for us to take a look at. As you know, they send us a lot of cheap computers to look at here on the channel. So I figured I would open up the box and show you what was inside of it. So let me get rid of some of the extra junk here. We're going to unbox these boxes on the Extras channel, so stay tuned for that. But we've got a uh, high box hero here from Chewy. This is a, a little mini PC that I think is running with an Apollo Lake processor. It costs about $118. And I forgot what this one costs, but I believe this one is a, a little Surface clone. So let me get this one out of the box here and uh, see what's inside of it. And we've got here a, a T-book, it looks like, from TechLast. And this is, a, I believe, a Surface clone. Again, I'll unbox this on the Extras channel, so stay tuned for that. So we've got uh, two little mini PCs here. I think this one is Cherry Trail powered. I might be incorrect about that. Uh, and the other one here is, I believe, an Apollo Lake mini PC. And again, we'll be unboxing all of these on the Extras channel and reviewing at least one of these this week and then the other one uh, the following weeks. We always get some good stuff in from GearBest because I know a lot of you like that those cheap PCs. And I, was, I actually forgot what they had sent me. So it was kind of fun to unbox all of that for you live. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have the tip jar set up for a one-time contribution at lon.tv slash tip jar. That one, I believe, only works inside the U.S. But if you are outside the U.S., we can take PayPal at lon at lon.tv. We also have our ongoing relationship with Plex. So if you set up a free account at lon.tv slash Plex with no credit card required, we get a small commission. We also get a commission if you gift a Plex Pass subscription to somebody else at lon.tv slash Plex gift. And we've got a bunch of channels to follow here if you are into what I'm doing. So we've got the Extras channel where you'll see those uh, gear best items unboxed. We also have my podcast feed where that longer form content goes. And I also post this show every week in audio form up there. So if this is too long to watch, you can listen on your commute or whatever. Uh, we also have the Snippets channel set up where I pull out portions of this video and others for better search optimization. And of course, we've got my archive of live streams at lon.tv slash live streams. I do suggest if you want to keep up on all my latest stuff to click on the notification bell and ask YouTube to send you notifications whenever I upload something. You can do that on each channel individually. And we also, of course, have some other ways to connect with the channel, namely our email list at lon.tv slash email, which I send out every week or two, lon.tv slash Facebook for the Facebook page. Then we have my store where I resell the things that I bought here on the channel so that you can get a good deal on something new. And we have the store alert set up. So every time I make a change on the store, you'll get an email uh, to alert you as to when that took place. And that is going to do it. 
for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support and viewership, and I greatly appreciate all the comments that I get as well. I do read everyone. I can't get to everyone, unfortunately, for a reply, but I do keep tabs on what you are all thinking about and uh, trying to direct my content in ways that uh, will be of most interest to you. So please keep those suggestions coming. That's going to do it for this week. This is Lon Sybin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Tangential Soup Podcast, and Chris Allegretta. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.